All right, I'm ready. You can dive right in, Craig, and do the intro, and then we'll start the interview. Okay. Give me one second. Oh, come on, Craig. This is taking forever. Hello, it is Saturday, October 8th, 2016, and this is episode 26 of Do For A Win, the Atlantic City and Casino Biz podcast. My name is Craig Stone. With me is Kyle Askin. Howdy. And we have a very special guest today, uh, Dr. David G. Schwartz, the director of the Center for Gaming Research at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. You probably recognize him from the Vegas Gang podcast, uh, Vegas7.com, or any of his many books on gambling history, uh, including Roll the Bones, Grandissimo, Tales from the Pit, and of course, Boardwalk Playground, which covers Atlantic City. So we just wanted to have you on, uh, Dave, to discuss Taj Mahal, not only because you're really one of the foremost authorities on uh, casino and gambling history, and a podcast inspiration to both Kyle and I, uh, <laughs> but also because you, oh, thank you. A- actually worked at the Taj, right, as a security um, person for, for a bit. Uh, so we're very happy to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. So I just wanted to jump right in to a little bit of your background. Uh, you were actually growing up in Atlantic City during the initial casino boom, right? Yeah. So yeah. Was, the, was, I... was that a strange transition? Was it, uh, you know, what was it like in the town at that point? Well, when you're a kid, you think everything is natural and you think it's that way everywhere. So you, you know... My early, earliest memories were before they had casinos, but I was really little, so I don't remember too much. I kind of remember the openings. I remember the, them blowing up a lot of the old hotels, which, of course, I thought was really cool. And then building new casinos, which, I don't know, I guess I was an architecture critic. I wasn't that impressed by. Although, like, some of them, I remember the Tropicana had these glass elevators you could go up in, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't a guest of the hotel. You kind of sneak, and Trump Plaza too had these glass elevators, so that was really cool. I guess when you're, I don't know, eight, nine years old, really entertaining. Yeah, the the Trump still has idea those of, elevators. <laughs> it's like, hey, let's go down and ride in the elevator. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so yeah, that's maybe I should, yeah maybe I'm cheating my kids. Maybe I should take that for a ride in a glass elevator instead of going to Discovery Museum and parks and stuff. <laughs> So back, back, I guess, in the late 70s uh, when this was all happening, do you, do you think that were most people in the town kind of excited for the new economic prospects that the casinos were going to bring in? Or was there some sense that, you know, maybe Atlantic City would be losing something with the casinos coming in? No, pretty much everybody felt like they had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. The city had declined so much that right. there was pretty much nobody was against it because there really wasn't anywhere else to turn. So... Everybody was behind it, as far as I know. So do you think that, was it you growing up in Atlantic City that led you, do you think, to sort of getting into gaming or the history of gaming as a career? I mean, do you think that led to where you are today? Oh, yeah, absolutely, totally. I, I, uh, so I worked in a couple casinos, as, as you talked about. When I went to college, I wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do. But I kind of got the idea, hey, it would be cool to teach college because this looks like a pretty good lifestyle. So I went to grad school and then I found out that, yeah, you have to write a dissertation 
on a subject. So I'm looking around and I found out, hey, there has not been a lot of history written about casinos. And wow, what a great wide open field. So I wrote my dissertation on the history of casinos. And then after I got my PhD, went in the job market and found out there's a very good reason why people don't write a lot of stuff about the history of casinos. Because <laughs> it is not the guaranteed way to get a job in 21st century academia, for better or for worse. So, so is, it, is UNLV like one of the few places that actually has sort of, a, I guess, a, a center? I mean, obviously yeah, it makes sense well, for UNLV yeah. to, to have that as opposed to I mean, some there, other towns. There's, there's a lot of places that have more of the management aspect of it. Right. You know, what we're trying to do at UNLV and the university libraries is collect material to support the humanities and social sciences looking into gambling, you know, not just the teaching people how to manage hotels, but looking at the impacts of casinos and gambling and history, thinking that we have books going back to the 16th century talking about gambling that kind of puts it all in perspective. So, okay. Going back to AC, is there anything that you feel like you miss or that you wish you could have experienced from pre-casino Atlantic city? Yeah. You know, I, I think the biggest thing, well, let me, so let me kind of break this down. It would, there are so many periods where the city was different. It would have been great to have seen it when it was first developing back in the 1850s and 1860s. It would have been really neat to see that first boom time in the 1890s and 1900s. But I think I really would have liked to seen it in the 50s when it was kind of declining a little bit, but you had a lot of great stuff happening, you know, 500 club happening, Club Harlem happening, a lot of nationally known, internationally known entertainers coming in, you know, Frank Sinatra doing his gigs at the Five. Uh, that's where Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis got together for the first time. So, you know, that that would, I really wish I could have been there for that. That would have been fun. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because I think people kind of think of the 20s, you know, the Boardwalk Empire sort of period as, as the peak, and then after the sort of camp boardwalk uh, kind of as the decline, but like you mentioned in the book in in Boardwalk Playground, there was a lot of cultural stuff going on in the fifties, in the late forties, and in the fifties. Yeah, and that the thing is, and that's when my grandparents were kind of at their peak, and they were in the middle of decline, and you never got the sense that they knew it because it was it seemed like things were going on, even though the jobs were drying up and stuff and it what's amazing to me too looking at it in retrospect is how quickly the city turned around so into the 50s it was considered this is a really cool vacation place convention place and by the middle 60s it was totally different it was oh my god the city's falling apart it's amazing to think that can happen in 10 years you know when you think of how especially comparing it to las vegas you know how much that's changed in the last 10 years you see it could have gone the other way yeah. Uh, I mean, just to touch briefly, it seems like similarly, it was a really shockingly fast transition. I mean, obviously, I wasn't I didn't know anything about it at the time, but <laughs> since I wasn't alive, but from from World War Two, where it was used as uh, basically a training ground for um, for soldiers in, to get back into private hands and really become a resort again. Yeah, you know, and they, they were Atlantic City's always been very good at changing. That's one thing that I think people forget. And one of the things about, I guess, gambling history, but probably all history, is that people think that the way things have been for the past five years is the way that they've always been and they're always going to be. 
So people just got into the idea of, yeah, people only come to Atlantic City to play quarter slot machines or, I guess, multi-denom slot machines and penny slots. And, you know, that's all we'll do. So we have to support that and nothing else. When, in fact, they've come to Atlantic City for a lot of different reasons. And they will probably in the future come for other reasons, not just to play slot machines. So one of the places that has sort of uh, done very well and, and very poorly in different portions of its history and uh, in sort of doing that job of trying to get people to come and play multi-denomination slot machines uh, is the Taj Mahal, which obviously is now scheduled to close on Monday. So very close here, which is a big part of why we wanted to have you on. Um, can you just tell us a bit about how you first came to work at the Taj Mahal and, and just what it was like when you were there? Yeah, so this was around the time. So pretty much in the summers, I always worked, you know, usually two jobs. I worked for the Ventnor City Beach Crew in the mornings, and I usually worked an afternoon or evening job. So for a while, it was the Monaco Motel in Ventnor, the finest hospitality location in Ventnor, New Jersey, which is no longer there, unfortunately. And, you know, so I wanted to get another job and i said i want to work at the coolest casino there is and that at the time this is 1994 this was the taj so i applied it was amazing i had to write an essay in the application about why do you want to work here which is you know kind of funny you wouldn't think that you'd have to have a i don't even know why they would have people write an essay i write an essay about it and by the way the answer is always because you want to help people (laughs) that's why which i did you know so it didn't really have any skills so i figured well i'll do security because that's pretty much standing around and talking to people so i did that applied for that got that job and it was really i really enjoyed it it was really good started out just working on the floor eventually worked my way up and i did the life safety monitor dispatching for a while when i was up in security command so got to know that pretty well and it was I'll kind of share this. I guess I can now that the place is going out of business, but I moved into command on grave shift and I was like 20, 21. And at one point I'm in command, which is where everything's going on, which is like the security command center. Meaning that if somebody calls in a bomb threat or something, we have to evacuate the whole building or whatever. And, you know, my supervisor goes out to smoke. One guy goes out to have his lunch, which is what they call it, no matter what time it is, you know, even if it's two in the morning. The other guy falls asleep. And here I am, I'm 21 years old. I'm the only person in charge of this whole, like, security system for this billion-dollar resort. And that was when it hit me that I'd become an adult. I had to be responsible. It was weird. It's a really weird feeling. It's wow. pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, my God, like I'm the only person here. I could evacuate this entire place if I wanted to. I don't believe they left me here. Like, <laughs> do they know that I'm here? Why are they, le- how could they give me this responsibility? Oh my God. But it was, it was cool. That, that was, that was pretty cool. So and then, so yeah, but then I went to grad school and I worked there through my senior year at Penn. And then over that summer, then I went off to grad school after grad school. Like I said, didn't, didn't do so well with the job market for the history department jobs. So with the advanced degree, I got a job in the surveillance department and did that for about a year. 
Then I went to UNLV, where I still am today, along with Vegas 7 and anywhere else. <laughs> so I think because me and Craig are slightly younger, we both didn't turn 21 until 2004. And at that point, Taj was already kind of on its downswing, if not already pretty far down the list of casinos. But I think for a lot of people... Uh, like you said, Taj was kind of the place to be in the 90s. I mean, do you agree that that was the nicest casino in the 90s in Atlantic City? Yeah, and people were really, this is also kind of, you know, I would say the Taj, probably the two most important institutions in my life in shaping me to the whatever I am now are Atlantic City High School and the Trump Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. Because I learned more there than I probably did in college. And just kind of just getting to experience that was such a big thing. And it was a really exciting place to work. It was, it was great. You, anything could happen. We had celebrities in there all the time. I got to, I did one of, might have been Mickey Mantle's last public appearance. So you, it was like pretty much, you, you meet some really, Muhammad Ali. Met him, lots of people. Huey Lewis. So I'll go all uh, Patrick Bateman on you here. <laughs> Huey Lewis reference. Yeah, he, he was like a nice guy. He was a really nice guy. So, yeah, it was it was, it was really exciting when I was there. In the, so I was there in 94, uh, 95, came back for a while in 98, and then came back and in 2000 and left in early 2001. Mm-hmm. When I was there, it was still the top revenue-producing casino in the city, so... Right. Yeah, it was until we actually in our, our first episode ever, which is like a year ago, we were talking about the history. And I think, yeah, until 2002 or something it was. And then Bally's was for a couple of years and then Borgato opened and sort of took over yeah, everything. Cause, but, uh, Bally's, yeah, Bally's absorbed the Claridge, uh-huh, which bumped right. them up. And then Borgato opened and just, whew. I know. Well, and it's still like that today. So, um, yeah. But back back then, I mean, how did the Taj compare to like casinos in vegas because it was built right around the same time as the mirage was built maybe a year or two later and that was mirage was kind of seen i I think as like the first new kind of mega resort in vegas that kind of kicked everything off there so how did the taj really compare to the casinos that were in vegas at the time you know it's this is this could be an article in and of itself uh mirage cost i think 620 million dollars mm-hmm Taj reportedly Trump said that it cost 1.1 billion dollars, mm-hmm. and Mirage had 3,000 rooms. Taj had 1,000 rooms, so that kind of gives you an idea right there. The Mirage mm-hmm. just clearly had way more stuff. I mean, they had their own rainforest. You know, we at the Taj we had Kukuru, which is a chicken place. It's like mm, it's not really a rainforest. It really couldn't compete. Is what I'm trying to say very politely. It's a it's a big casino hotel complex but it it just does not compare to the mirage Mm -hmm. because the mirage was just a totally different animal you know it's it's amazing to me too that i guess it's not amazing this tells you why the taj had so many financial problems that steve Wynn and bobby baldwin building the mirage had to kind of scrape around to get the funding for it from wall street and people were really skeptical but they did it and it was great. They really were vindicated. You can kind of understand that, you know, I, and it's kind of hard for me to see. Well, I guess this is why the Taj 
having to get about twice as much money had to pay such high interest rates that it ended up in bankruptcy. So, right. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, so obviously with, you know, the election going on now and Donald Trump's history in the city, sort of, you know, the, the story of the Taj's opening has been dredged up in mainstream newspapers mm-hmm. over the last several months. But at the time, did was it kind of big news about how highly leveraged the Taj really was? Was it covered? Were people concerned about the, the amount of leverage that had gone into it and the interest rates? Or were people just kind of excited about it opening and, and didn't think that, you know, it would basically have to declare bankruptcy so quickly after it opened? Some people were excited, but they, if you look at the newspapers at the time, which I've gone back and looked at them, and they've all got people warning saying, well, other people aren't so bullish. And there's in every article, somebody's saying, well, yeah, that's, that's leveraging it pretty heavily. And Donald Trump was the boy wonder behind Central Park and getting the skating rink fixed there and Trump Tower and all this other stuff. He'd, he'd opened Trump Plaza in Atlantic City. That had done pretty well. He He'd opened the castle, which had Hilton had built. So he just had this reputation as somebody who could get stuff done. And mm-hmm. they figured, well, he'll, he'll get it done. So I think that was the prevailing mood. But and he was also a big... He really put his stamp in Atlantic City. And growing up, every time I looked in that direction, I looked downtown you would see Trump's name in huge 30 foot high letters. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, it's kind of an all, I don't know. It's kind of, kind of like the eye of or something, you know, like an all pervading presence there. Just imagine that when you grow up, every time you look in the sky, you see Trump huge. It's just a huge presence in the city. And it's kind of hard for me to believe to be, for me to believe that after 30 years, it's going to be gone. There will be no more Trump in giant red letters in the sky. It's it's interesting because I think when Kyle and I, by the time we had started going, there was Trump Plaza that was kind of in disrepair. Trump Marina was probably the worst thing going in Atlantic yeah. City. And then the Taj was, was hanging on and doing okay, but not great. And it was, And so the Trump name had really sort of declined in Atlantic City. So it's it's almost funny for us, I think, to think about there was a time when that was the name in casino gaming in, in Atlantic City because it had almost become sort of a joke. I don't know if you agree with that, Kyle, but I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was a joke, but certainly those those three properties were by the time we were started to go to Atlantic City were not the, the nicest properties anymore. I mean, Taj was still probably very nice, but, uh, you know, once Borgata opened, I feel like that it kind of took everything to the next level kind of was this big specter kind of over the rest of the casinos in Atlantic city, which I think it still, it still is to, to a degree. So I guess the next question, like in the, the nineties and sort of the early two thousands, I think are mm-hmm. kind of seen as the golden age of, of at least gaming in Atlantic city. Um, I mean, I think famously and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Craig or, or Dr. Dave, but I, I think that for a long time, Atlantic city was actually out earning Las Vegas and in, in gaming revenue throughout yes, that time from 1983 to 1999. So what, what was the city really like then? I mean, was it, was it really just gaming, gaming, gaming? And that was really what the Atlantic city casinos were about. Whereas, you know, Las Vegas tried to have other attractions there and, and other things, or was there sort of more to do in the, in the city in the nineties than just gamble? Well, for most of the people who came, it was just gamble. And they were, and I, mm-hmm. 
talked about this all the way back in my dissertation, which became Suburban Xanadu. You know, they weren't tourists. They were commuters. They, were, mm-hmm. they would come there either by car or by bus, gamble, and then go home. So they, which to me was one of the mistakes of the way they designed the casinos, which goes back to the legislation. You know, why you wanted them to be these big slot boxes is, is beyond me. And it seems that the designs now, you know, now they're integrated resorts and urban resorts and all this other stuff. And now they, it seems like they're much more willing to be open to the rest of the community and have people coming out. Here's my example. You know, if you, if you look at what was the Golden Nugget and then was Bally's Grand, yep. the Grand, a, Atlantic City Hilton, ACH, Atlantic Club, you know, that whole frontage is just that glass wall. Yep. Okay, that's what pretty much everything was like. You know, Bally's was like that. Tropicana was mostly like that, except for the place where the peanut shop was, where I had my Mr. Peanut gig for one summer. But now it seems like they've gone beyond that. Tropicana, I love what they've done. Pretty much that whole boardwalk frontage is all opened up mm-hmm. and you can you can get in there. So that's, you know, I feel if they had done that 35 years ago, it would be a much, the, the city would have developed a lot more different, a lot differently. And that was, to me, that was the big mistake was not embracing the surroundings. Right. And I, I think a lot of people have, have kind of come to that conclusion that, the city's real downfall is that they just were milking the gaming aspect of it as much as they could. And then, of course, as the, the neighboring states and the areas around the East Coast started allowing gambling, that kind of was the undoing because Atlantic City was seen as just a place to gamble. And then when you have one, a casino that's closer to you, people are going to stop going. Which is screwed up. Here's why. OK, so I was just back there with my family two weeks ago. We went dolphin watching. And it was out, we're out there for two and a half hours. It was down in Cape May. If you want to Google that, the Cape May Dolphin Watching. I forget the name of the mm-hmm. company, but they were really cool. Two and a half hours for a family of four it was like eighty dollars for two and a half hours out. You know, looking at dolphins and going around and getting a history lecture about the Cape May area. It's like incredible. You couldn't. There is no amount of money you could pay to see dolphins in their natural habitat where they should be in Las Vegas. It is not possible. That it, and it boggles my mind that you wouldn't try to play up that kind of stuff that you can do. You can go, you can freaking go surfing. You know, in Atlantic City, you can go surfing. Again, there is no amount of money you could pay to surf in ocean surf in Las Vegas. And it just boggles my mind that they did not try to market around that. You know, hey, let's hire, you know, let's do like a Bodie and Point Break thing and hire some burnout dude to be a surf instructor and, you know, have that, have a concierge to offer that service to the guests and that kind of stuff. Like, why didn't people try that? So how, how much of that do you think is because of sort of the greed or incompetence or whatever of the casino executives just looking at, you know, what's the best way I can make short-term profits, which at the time was just put more slot machines in because they were the only game in town on the East Coast. And how much of that is maybe because of, 
you know, the the graft and corruption and incompetence that's kind of traditionally seen with the the government, the local government in Atlantic City, which is, I guess, most famous in the 20s because of Boardwalk Empire, but, you know, has certainly gone up through this era in the 90s. I mean, plenty of people were arrested in government <laughs> then as well. So, yeah, you know, I was thinking about this, too. It's kind of funny that and of course, the city just defaulted, which isn't funny, but it's the funny thing to me is that, OK, the city's gimmick is that it's really corrupt that's kind of the gimmick like hey boardwalk empire really corrupt so is anybody surprised that there's been financial impropriety it's like oh my how could that happen the place with the gimmick that it's corrupt is you know inept at finances wow who could have seen that happening i am shocked you know i think part of it's that part of it is i wouldn't call it it's not necessarily greed it's just that people buy it's it's a couple things number one People want to get in on the bubble, and it's exactly what we see in Las Vegas with pizza places, burger places, all Night that. Nightclubs, whatever. Nightclubs, you know, where, oh, they have a nightclub. Let's add a nightclub. You know, let's, have a, let's have a pizza place. Let's right. have the, you know, everybody does it. There's not a lot of originality. And when the guy down the street from you is making a lot of money with the quarter slot machines, you feel pretty stupid if you're not making a lot of money with the quarter slot machines. And everybody's demanding, like, yes, do that. So it's not like I, you know, I can't say this president of the property is a terrible, greedy man because he did this. Well, no, he's just doing what he's being paid to do, which is try to maximize the return to the shareholders. And the well, you don't get rewarded for doing risky things that are that are going to happen later. Las Vegas was lucky where you had people like Steve Wynn and Sheldon Adelson who could say, no, this is my vision, this is what we're going to do, and did it. There, you, you know, Steve Wynn did that to an extent in Atlantic City. Steve Wynn could have built something like the Mirage in Atlantic City, but he got chased out by the regulators in 1987. Right. You know, he and had I've, the land. They were, And I've talked to his architects. They were There were plans to build, and they right. were in the Mirage. I, I know that that even to this day, you know, people will ask Steve Wynn in interviews and about his time in Atlantic City and with the gold, the original Golden Nugget, which you were talking about, mm-hmm. and and he he places, I mean, for him, he places all the blame on on the the city government and the state government and and the greed and the corruption and and all that. Yeah, yeah, and the, so that's part of it, you know, is just short sightedness. Other part, I think, is it's it's very provincial. The people running the casinos there are very provincial. They think that they know everything and that nobody else has any ideas to contribute. So you wouldn't see a lot of people. And this is probably more into the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, Obviously, in the 70s, nobody was from Atlantic City running that. But a lot of the people running the casinos, you know, when I was there in the, into the 2000s, they just had the attitude that they knew better than everybody else. So I remember Sun International came in, Kurt, Saul Kersner who built Sun City in South Africa, which was one of the things that influenced Steve Wynn with the Mirage. So this is a guy who knows casinos. And the attitude that people had is, well, he's going to have to hire some local people because he doesn't know anything about how the business really works. <laughs> and like, he's been running a multi-billion dollar company all over the world, multiple jurisdictions, you know, besides the whole, I don't, uh, I'm not going to play Sun City thing, if, which uh, you probably a little bit before your time. Yeah. Just uh, just Google artists united against apartheid Sun City. You'll see it's a it was a huge video thing in the in the uh, 80s, really big. Mm. Um, 
so yeah, people were really provincial and you didn't have a lot of people coming with other ideas from other cities, which I think hurt them because some, anybody from out of town is going to see like, wow, this is incredible. You know, wow, there's a lot of really cool real estate right off the boardwalk and it's kind of dilapidated housing. What if we bought that and tried to get something going and, you know, wouldn't people like to live a couple blocks away from the beach? I don't know, man. Didn't right. do it. It's pretty shocking that that hasn't come to pass yet. I mean, it, I guess the argument would be just that there's so many surrounding beach towns in New Jersey. So, you know, why would you start at the one that's kind of in the worst shape, arguably? But just as far as the, the natural advantages it has, like you mentioned, it's pretty incredible that that hasn't really happened yet. And it's really convenient. I mean, you can be in Philadelphia in an hour. I mean, like literally in somebody's office in like an hour and a half from Atlantic City. New York in about two hours, two and a half hours. So it's like really, you're, yeah. I mean, it's just the infrastructure to me is mostly there. Obviously not the airport part, but I yeah, I don't know. It's it's. It, I think the problem is that just the, the taxes are so high there's not the idea that, hey, we need to encourage people to come here and start businesses and stuff. I think that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I guess to to wrap up our conversation on the history of, or the, the history of the gaming in Atlantic City and, and the Taj, so what, what was your reaction? Obviously, you have a, a long history with the Taj. What was your reaction when you heard that it finally was going to go out of business, I guess, in two days from now? I mean, were you surprised? Like, what do you think that's going to do to Atlantic City? Because it's, I think you can argue that maybe for the people who've been there, they, they'll say, you know, what do you think of when you think of Atlantic City? They could say the Borgata or Caesars or something like that. But I think for, for at least most people who haven't been there, I mean, the Taj still might be the most recognizable casino name in Atlantic City. It's really devastating. It's, it's depressing. Honestly, the whole thing, everything that's happened in Atlantic City in the last three years, yeah, it's it's really depressing. It's got me to really reconsider a lot of how I think of the casino industry. Just because when I was growing up, this was the savior. This was this great business that was going to save the city and do and pump life into it and create jobs. And well, it did, but then it didn't. So it just uh, really got me thinking a lot harder than I think I did before. So have you have you heard any of the re, the the rumors about possibly reopening? I mean, I know New Jersey just attempted to pass or at least proposed some legislation, kind of saying that that can't happen. But which is okay. This is this this is what is wrong. This is what is wrong with New Jersey and Atlantic City. Number one, 1992, they could have passed sports betting. They didn't because they're idiots. There's they no other explanation. In. No, we don't want that. Well, you'll be the you're guaranteed. Congress is saying if you do, you can do it, you're guaranteed. You're going to monopoly. You're the only ones in the East Coast with it. Could you imagine that would have been incredible? Nope, can't. No, nope, don't want to do that. Can't be bothered. No, nope. you know I've heard rumors that it was the people affiliated with organized crime put pressure in so that they could keep the monopoly. I don't know if that's true. That's what I've heard, but it's just. I I don't believe that nobody in the legislature said we need to get this done and got it done. So that's one thing. And I was so distracted, I forgot the original question. 
I got so distracted by that because I remember thinking there was a second half I was going to say. Oh, the uh, so the the original question was about how there are rumors that the Taj maybe it's just closing short term and it's going to open back oh, up yeah. in the spring, and then the so, state is trying to pass a bill that says that if Carl Icahn closes the Taj, it will not be allowed to reopen for five this years. This is what is so shitty about the city, and why this is why they've this is why they I feel like I'm a like hit in a broken home. Like this is why daddy left. This is why they drove Steve Wynn away. You know, stuff like this. All right. Well, people are, lo- people are losing jobs. So let's pass a law that makes it harder to reopen a place. You know, the pe- the people, it seemed like the people there were more concerned with making a point and making sure that the people inside there, the managers are suffering than actually trying to save jobs, which is really disturbing. So then when you have a, the legislature come in and say we're more concerned with making the people who close the place suffer than getting the jobs back. That just seems totally nonsensical. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a very strange, strange way to go about it. And it's one of those things that I think it's the kind of legislation that might make sense when the economy is doing very well and Atlantic City is doing very well, because you don't want to sort of have someone have the power to just totally bust a union just because they're making a ton of money and they want to make even more. But when the city's doing poorly, it just seems like a really strange way to go about it. Yeah. It, and again, you, there's so many other barriers. If you've got $500 million to invest in a resort or a casino, there's a lot of other places you could do it with a lot more upside than Atlantic city. And there's a reason why not a lot of people are investing. You know, there's a reason why, the plaza was going to sell for what twenty million dollars or something, and then did, then that didn't even go through. Yeah, I, I kind of showboat that. sold for twenty six million, I think, and Revel sold for what eighty two million. So. Yeah, you know, yeah, so that's the market speaking, and they should listen to that. You know, these are the people who actually have to risk their money. That's what they're saying it's worth. So you can't just legislate oh no this is you can't do that and and that to me the other thing growing up in atlantic city it seemed everywhere you went people would just say you can't do that you can't do that you go out in the boardwalk and the first thing you see is a big sign with everything you can't do on the boardwalk and the beach and you can't ride your bike after 10 o'clock it's like oh well you know why would you why would you choose to go on vacation there to have people well, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't play ball on the beach. Like, screw you, I'm on vacation. And, that, and that's one thing that I think Vegas gets right. Of course, you take it too far in the other direction, you end up getting trick-rolled or something, so you don't want to take it too far. But <laughs> right. it's like, you know, you, there is something to be said for relaxing the rules a little bit and maybe letting people play ball on the beach, Well, maybe so, letting people have alcohol on the beach. Right, you know. so... This this summer there was a lot of discussion that maybe they were going to allow alcohol on the boardwalk, but uh, and and the city council kind of bandied it about for a bit, but but nothing came of it. And it's something that that Craig and I have been pushing for for a long time. I think it makes perfect sense if it became like, even if you wanted to make it like New Orleans where you have to pour it into a plastic cup or whatever. I mean, it's still for me it it makes perfect sense for what Atlantic City is, and I, I think it could only help it. I mean it. A, it would help get people kind of out onto the boardwalk instead of now. I think a lot of people just, you know, go to a casino, stay at the casino the entire time, go home, 
which, I mean, it's not bad for the city, but it's not as good as if people are moving around and, and walking mm-hmm. by local businesses and things like that. And just, you know, it, if they're trying to be this destination town for people from 20 to 35, I mean, I think it's something that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, it would be good to be able to walk outside, drink a beer, you know, as a responsible adult. You know, obviously, and, you know, they, well, and I remember when they first brought the, the boardwalk, the, the beach bars in, mm-hmm. people are saying, oh, uh, the people are going to be vomiting all over the beach. It's like, well, you know, yeah, if they're like 17 right. and drinking for the first time, but I I don't know. I'm an adult. I'm, an, I'm able to go out and have a beer and not vomit all over the place. I don't think that that's going to... You know, I don't think that's going to happen. And if it does, then that they, you know, they have laws against being drunk and disorderly to take care of that. Uh, and I don't think that's kind of which way it's going to go. And I think that's just a tendency is to try to, it's just too restrictive in so many ways. And that is what has put the city in the situation where it's in today. And it is a little weird how for a city that especially historically has been built on on vice and sort of backroom gambling and that kind of stuff and now is a gambling town like they kind of clutch their pearls quite a bit <laughs> you know like gambling yeah. on, gambling on, or uh, drinking on the boardwalk people immediately say oh no that's going to lead to other problems like why don't we see if it's going to lead to other problems yeah i mean to me the problem is that there's no jobs because there's not much tourism <laughs> Because people don't feel comfortable there because there's not a lot of people around because nobody's, you're not allowed to drink, you know, grab a beer and take a walk down the boardwalk. So, I mean, you know, to me, having more people out in public is a good thing, which will help the city. Yeah, I, you I know, agree they won't completely. Be, they <laughs> yeah, won't I be agree. I mean, everywhere. personally, I have no problem walking down the boardwalk kind of in the middle of the night, but I know a lot of people, including my wife, like aren't. Like, do not like being on the boardwalk after dark. So, I mean, it's a problem that they need to, like, it's a perception that exists for people, and it's something they need to get over or get past. And it's the city. Yeah. Goes. It's crazy, and, though, because it's a beach town. I mean, that's the, the huge market for a lot of beach towns after dark on the boardwalk, and, and AC doesn't really seem to have it. Yeah, that's weird. And again, you know, it's because the casinos weren't incentivized. Now I think they are. Now they're seeing that. But the problem is always you have the reason why you have Las Vegas casinos opening themselves up so much is that they know they have 42 million people a year coming here. They're going to spend two and a half days here and they decide where they're going to eat at the time that they eat for the most part. So they have a lot of stuff open so people can kind of wander in. That's not what the Atlantic City market is right now. So it's difficult for them to take that approach, but I think they have to take that approach to open the city up and be more successful. And one of the things you actually mentioned earlier was the sort of design of the casinos on the boardwalk side. And there is something really weird, you know, since I'm coming, you know, from the New York City area, typically not driving around very much in the city and always staying overnight just about when I go is that I'm always entering the casinos on the boardwalk side. And to me, that's the front of the casino, but they're not designed that way at all. So Bally's especially, you walk in and you feel like you're going in the back door when you're going in from the boardwalk. And that always struck me as really weird. And, and like you mentioned, you know, Tropicana is starting to do it more where there's stuff on the boardwalk side and it feels like 
that's actually more welcoming. But so many of the other casinos, it feels like you're sort of sneaking into the entrance you're not even supposed to be going into when when that's sort of, you know, the boardwalk is already arguably sort of a thoroughfare of pedestrian traffic that should be driving into the casino. Yeah, which is better than the Las Vegas Strip in a lot of ways. You know, Las Vegas Strip is built as a way to move cars. They've had to spend a lot of money building pedestrian overpasses. It's still not perfect. A lot of the older casinos were designed with setbacks. So that's, you know, and just think about the time that it takes you to get from the, the Strip into Bellagio. And how you don't have that in Atlantic City if it's done well, you know. I like what they did at Wild Wild West where they kind of opened it up and put the performance space and have had that. You know, that to me, that's what they should be doing. So it's good to see. And it's, it's good to see some people doing the right thing. One of the criticisms I don't like of Atlantic City is saying, well, nobody invested in non-gaming stuff. Some people did. Borgata did. Trop did. Harris has. So I think some people have. The problem is you don't have that critical mass that right. the Strip has. So you haven't had billions of dollars of that investment. And ironically, the three casinos you mentioned are three of the casinos that are doing the best in Atlantic City. Yeah. So There you go. Yeah, and um, others didn't and didn't do well. Right. I mean, yeah, it seems like at least all the casinos are right on the boardwalk. Like you said, it seems like since, I mean, Sands was kind of the last one that was, you know, you had to take the moving sidewalk to get, there and and the Claridge, but but since that's closed, it, yeah, it's nothing like in Las Vegas when you go to like Bally's or something, and it's like a hike to to go from the Strip to Bally's or or something like that. Yeah, and that to me, that's one of the th- great things about Fremont Street is you're in and out, you can wander around. You know, you don't quite have that in Atlantic City because everything it's just one side of the boardwalk. But you figure people might not just be going into casinos. They might want to go out and, geez, maybe walk on the beach. Maybe do something else fun. <laughs> so just some general uh, AC casino market stuff that we had here. Uh, this With Taj closing, it'll be down to seven casinos, although we're assuming that's going to go back up to eight when – 10, which is the former Revel, uh, opens up. <laughs> Do you think that getting down to seven actually makes Atlantic City attractive to investors who might be interested in opening another casino property, or does just the regulation and everything that we've talked about just dis- totally disincentivize that? I think the regulation is going to turn people off. I think they need a totally new regime there just to say that we're trying to solicit investment. And the idea that you're going to shrink the market to success has always boggled my mind. And, you know, granted, I'm probably a little bit too influenced by Las Vegas and people say, well, everywhere else is in Las Vegas. But, you know, in Las Vegas, the idea wasn't, hey, to be because Las Vegas was doing okay in the late 80s. And they didn't say, well, huh, you know, we're going to have a lot of competition coming up from new gaming around the country. So we need to close some casinos. You know, hey let's close the sands and the dunes and then maybe Bally's and Caesars can hang on and that, you know, they'll survive. That didn't work. You know, that's, you look at Reno, they didn't have a lot of investment and they've ended up pretty much where Atlantic city is as far as the casino is concerned. So to me, it's, you know, you either have to grow or preferably do both grow or diversify. And we've seen, and yeah, with, with 
Caesars, I mean, they made that, they did the calculus and they said, we are closing Showboat, which is a profitable casino, because we feel like it will help the other three properties enough to make up for the difference. So they really just decided that shrinking was better for business in the long run, which is kind of strange. Which is, which is insane, especially when you're trying to build up. And this is a company that had invested money in a convention center in Harrow's already, mm-hmm. right? Meaning you need more hotel rooms. Meaning, let's not close, what is it, a thousand hotel rooms? Yeah, in that neighborhood, yeah, for sure. It's, it, <laughs> it was really strange, and, and by all accounts, I mean, it It seemed to me, and, and maybe I'm just totally off base here, but, I mean, Gary Loveman, who was the CEO at the time when this happened, seemed like he was a pretty savvy guy who had a pretty decent idea of what was going on, but uh, I personally didn't agree with the, the choice either. It seemed like it was just completely a short-term move, not thinking about the long-term at all. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I, I think Loveman's legacy is going to be debated for a long time, because right. if you look at where the company is now, can you honestly say it was? it's in a better place than it was when Phil Satry was running it? Right. With a different okay. approach, I don't know. So that's going to be that's going to be debated. But I think I think the answer is no. But how much <laughs> of that was because of Loveman, and how much of that was a you know the, the the choice to go private at the absolute worst time you could ever make that decision, and then you know the big downturn. It's also you know it's also the decisions that he made, and the decision right. he made was we want to really get a lot of exposure to Las Vegas. And this Phil Satry, when he was CEO, turned down a couple of chances to buy properties in the Strip. Lubbock comes in and comp- says, no, we won't be exposed to Las Vegas. And then the market tanks. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting what would have happened if Phil Satry had hung on another five years. Harris would be in a much, would be a much different company today. Right. And I mean, it's, it's probably it's just, in a better place. Right. I mean, it's probably something we could actually just do a whole, podcast about it. it's just super interesting oh, yeah. because i think traditionally like one of the biggest failings of loveman if you talk to a lot of people is just he had an opportunity to get into macau and and he didn't take it and you know that's traditionally been seen as like maybe the worst thing he did when he was running caesars but now you know a couple years later it seems like well maybe macau isn't everything that it seemed like it was going to be in 2013 2014 so I, I don't know i think it's it's an interesting question and it's something we could debate forever yeah, well, it's because he completely turned even his own thesis behind the company, which was the his whole um, exploding volcanoes versus propeller head things. You know, that, that's a talk I heard him give at the International Conference on Gambling and Risk Taking back in 2000. And I think I actually asked him for a job, too. Um, didn't get it. But it's, there's no sour grapes. I'm really glad I didn't. <laughs> Because I, I really like where I've gone. Um, right. Other than that, but it, you know, but yeah, he was saying, well, no, we don't have, we don't invest in all that fancy stuff in the strip, so we can deliver a better experience. We're more in touch with our players, and then it turned to, oh no, we're going to buy eight properties in the strip and right. invest heavily in that, and that again, people were shocked when that didn't work out. So we've touched on this a little bit in terms of Atlantic City, just in terms of the non-gaming attractions. Actually, I think we've touched on it a lot, but. Do you think there's been any or was there any big proposed project uh, that fell through that could have been a huge game changer in Atlantic City just in terms of broadening the city's appeal? Well, there's a lot of things. So first of all, there were never the the location of the of the convention center, whatever they call it now, 
wasn't always where it wasn't always back there where it is at the foot of the expressway for a while it was going to be where around where the taj is and i wrote about this in this is in uh boardwalk playground also in my original casino connection article how originally they had this fantasy complex which was going to be resorts the showboat the taj convention center other non-gaming hotels they had a whole plan this is and it, it in the end they only got the three casinos if that had gone through that would have been really different i think that might have changed the game um i'm trying to think of other ones there's so many ones that didn't happen and you can still see uh, those skywalks right connecting those casinos <laughs> yeah yeah you know you imagine what would have happened if mgm had opened up in 1980 or so the problem was that there, there was this cash crunch in 79 80 so a lot of the projects that were planned didn't happen oh just i was saying in reading boardwalk playground it's crazy how many sort how many of the chapters sort of end with well this got bought to be some 300 million dollar development and that just never happens right <laughs> yeah well and that's happened a lot even like kind of since the downturn i mean there's you know Pinnacle, which was the mm. Sands, which was going to be a huge mega resort. Obviously, the 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 new MGM, which was going to be between Harris and Borgata, mm. you know, they, that was going to be a humongous resort there. That obviously never happened. It's now a parking lot between Harris and and Borgata. So the Gateway project there, right? That would uh, be cool. Sort of down near where uh, Stockton College is going yeah. to be built now was going to be a Hard Rock down at albany and and the boardwalk which yeah. got scared off when revel opened and chat the bed <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's like that's on like my tour of depression of atlantic city it's like oh hey okay hey kids hey this is well this used to be where the monaco was where i used to work hey this was my where my high school used to be it's a parking lot now uh this is the first casino i worked in that's closed you know, this is you know the Taj where I worked for three years. That's close. You know, that's closing. It's like ugh, depressing. Right. But the the really big missed opportunity, I think, was Steve Wynn coming back to town in the late nineties. Yeah. And this we can go back to Donald Trump because he had to fight him instead of doing what they did in Vegas, which was hey, we're going to make our property better. And sure, they would, you know, they were kind of snarky about it. It's not like they love each other there, but they'll, they're not going to fight the competition. I mean, they tied it up in court until eventually Wynn sold the company and it didn't happen. But imagine what would have happened if that thing had opened in, I'm, I might be messing with the timelines right now, but that thing probably would have opened around 99, 2000. Imagine what that would have been like if we had a Steve Wynn, awesome property open up, then you would have had the Boyd and MGM both build resorts. You probably would have had another wave of development there. So when Pennsylvania legalizes stuff in 2006, you've got mega resorts there already. That would have changed the entire city's trajectory. And that that plan to develop that tract was actually supposed to be three casinos, right? It was going to be mm-hmm. the the Wind Casino, I think Boyd and Circus Circus were the three people yeah. in it, and then Mirage buying out. Uh, or is MGM yeah, buying MGM out Mirage? Yeah. Kind of put a halt to that because MGM just had too much other stuff going on to deal with Atlantic City at that time. Yeah, but the, and that, again, that's directly because Donald Trump and some other folks too. I think the folks at Bally's too fought it. It's it's just and uh, Skip Bronson has a book called The War at the Shore, 
that's about this. He was Wynn's guy there. So it's, it's pretty illuminating to read that book that, and that's, if you're, if you're in Atlantic city, I would read that skip Ronson. Yeah. I read that. I think last year it's really (sighs) the, the, the inside politics in that it's almost not even a casino industry book. It's like a, a politics and, and development book is really interesting. Kind of the stuff that gets, that holds up these developments is pretty crazy. Yeah. And again, it's just, you know, so you're gonna, you're gonna have a smaller piece of a shrinking pie or you could have a piece of a growing pie. A lot of people would have a smaller piece of a shrinking pie as long as nobody else is growing. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the a little bit of the problem with Atlantic City that we've talked about on the podcast is there's so much so much of the marketing is about getting trying to yeah grow your piece of the pie at the expense of everyone else instead of everyone being like hey guys we can all just grow the pie and and be happier that way right like I want to get someone from your casino to my casino in Atlantic City I don't want to get more people to just come to Atlantic City. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've said this sounds kind of like sounds like a soundbite. So I guess it kind of is. But, you know, the problem for Atlantic City is they always thought the competition was the people down the boardwalk, not the people around the country. Right. And so they never really planned for that. Right. And and the real people who, who knocked them out were the legislatures in places like Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland. Yeah. And it was entirely stupid to think that they wouldn't because... Right. If it's that good of a deal and making that much money, do you really think they're going to let Atlantic City keep that and they're not going to do that? You know, they're such great philanthropists <laughs> in all those other states. They're going, oh, hey, let them keep all that money. And they're not going to do that. I mean, we've seen some of the same thinking with the, the North Jersey Casino referendum where the supporters in, in the state in New Jersey are saying, oh, well, we'll get the New York City market. They're going to come here. And if we don't do this, New York City will beat us to it. But it's like New York City's going to do it anyway. So yeah. it, the question is, are you going to have this advantage for two years or are you just not going to have the advantage at all? Yeah. And, you know, instead, why don't you help Atlantic City diversify, do what casinos were originally supposed to do, which is build up the tourism infrastructure and establish a thriving convention and tourism business. So have you right. been have you been following the, the Revel slash 10 uh, plans that Glenn Straub has had. I know he's had some, he said some pretty Glenn ridiculous Straub stuff. Saga. <laughs> yeah. I still kind of miss the ivory tower for geniuses idea. I mean, that was yeah. different. It's, you know, he seems like a successful creative guy with a lot of ideas. It, it, it doesn't seem like they're getting executed. And I know they've had a lot of, a lot of issues so yeah i don't know it's it's a it's a strange feeling not necessarily a good feeling yeah it's been it's been just a strange strange thing to follow um where now they've got the press release announcing the name and saying they're going to open in in q1 of 2017 and then you know he gets interviewed and says oh i didn't even put out that press release you know we hired a management team and are contracted with the management team and they decided to put out a press release without even consulting me. So that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, but, uh, you know, he's doing some, some somewhat different things, you know, ropes courses and bike courses and, and stuff like that. Water parks. And, yeah. Allegedly. Well, <laughs> so allegedly. He I, wants I, to do a water park. Do you, do you have any sense of optimism at all for 10 or, or are you totally in wait and see mode? Wait and see mode, you know, that um, the name doesn't really set me on fire, but I, you know, I didn't like the name, the D in downtown Las Vegas, but that's a great place. And, 
you know, Derek Stevens runs a great hotel. Um, I also didn't like SLS and that hasn't done so well in Vegas. So, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of a stretch. It's, it's, it might be a tough sell, but I hope they're successful. I would rather see them be successful and put people back to work and get people coming to Atlantic city than be right about thinking it's not a great name. Yeah, at the, I think Kyle and I said on the last episode that at the end of the day, if it's a great place, then people think it's a great name. <laughs> you know, right. 10 is as and good as And if it's not, then people will be like, of course it's bad. That was a terrible name. Yeah, or they'll just, you know, I don't think anybody's really in love with the name The D in Vegas, but it's a great um, casino, so people go there and they really, they really like it. So that's, I think the, I don't think the name, I mean, the part of the name is important. You know, you think, well, if the Mirage had been called something else, would it be as great if it was, you know, the Pacific Ambassador or something like that? Would it have been such a big deal? Maybe not, but that's a really... It's a pretty special place, so I yeah I think they can make I think they can make it with that name. It's just that I would like to have seen a name that somehow drew on the architecture, which is pretty distinctive, right? Or so, the surrounding area. So, what do you think? I mean, I think when when Revel opened, I mean, a like no one thought it was going to open because of the downturn and and it cost an unprecedented amount of money for the area and. They really seem to try to go for the Cayenne market that Borgata's really been the only game in town in Atlantic City. And and for me, you know, when I think of the nice casinos in Atlantic City, it, it's it's Borgata. And when Revel was open, you know, even though it was empty, I thought mm-hmm. it was very, very nice. Do you think that there is room for kind of competition in the high-end market in AC? or And, and do you think that that Revel 10, you know, and whatever iteration it's on can, can be someone that can kind of challenge them for that segment? Or do you think Borgata just has too much of a lead and it's going to really take kind of like something special to, to knock them out of that market segment? I think they would need a plan to bring in other people. I do not think they'll be able to take flight away from Borgata. That didn't work for Revel. I don't think it's going to work for them. I think what they have to do to be successful is find a market that's not being served and serve them and let them know that they are being served here and they want them there. And I think that is their best shot. I mean, I'll just be interested to see what happens because, you know, as you said, Glenn Straub has certainly had some, some crazy ideas and he's gotten into a lot of fights with a lot of people. But I mean, on the other hand, I think that, you know, the price he bought that property for it, it, it almost has to be a good deal. And then he mm-hmm. got over the biggest hurdle that existed with that property when he actually managed to buy the power company for it for, mm-hmm. you know, basically dirt cheap when the power company was the reason that when uh, Brookfield, which owns Hard Rock in, in Las Vegas, came in and made an offer and then walked away from it. So I don't, we'll, we'll see what he does. As you said, I mean, he seems like a very savvy business guy. Getting the power company is like the biggest coup. And I think no matter what he ends up doing, he can sell that property for a profit now because he has the power company. So I'm just interested mm-hmm. to see what's going to happen over the next couple of years with, with that property. Because I, I think it, it has a lot of promise. I enjoyed being there every time I was there. So um, and here's the thing, too. So if we if we malign the generations of executives who were too conservative and only wanted to build slots and didn't want to push the envelope. You know, we can't then jump all over a guy who has these out-of-the-box ideas for not building another slot box. So, you know, we have to we have to give people room to fail, to grow, to succeed. Uh, 
I agree 100%. I think I think I'm I'm super excited to see what ends up happening with the Rebel and I'm super excited to see sort of whatever Glenn Straub's plan is when it comes to fruition. So do you do you think that uh Rebel is is kind of the last new casino construction we'll see for a while or do you think that there might be you know there's always been rumors of maybe some boutique hotels coming in like like Hard Rock like I said down near Albany Avenue or or something similar to that do you think that we might see new construction anytime in the near future in Atlantic City or do you think if there is another casino that opens it'll probably be in one of the existing spaces that just you know like the Taj or like Showboat or whatever that gets refurbished yeah, I think they'd probably do the refurbishing mm-hmm. Even back when they first proposed that mini boutique casino legislation, I ran the number, and there's just so much more. There's so much more upside to doing what Tillman Fertitta did and buying an existing property for pennies in the dollar and refurbishing it than starting from scratch. You know, I just and I I penciled it out, and it just didn't work. There was no way it would be profitable to build something new when you could have the old stuff for so much less. And I think that's still still going to hold true. You know, if you had some kind of renaissance in the market and it rebounded, then yeah, you might see some new construction, but not until then. So do you think, just to kind of get into the general questions about grand scheme stuff, uh, do you think there are any lessons really that AC should be taking from Vegas right now, but they're not? Or is AC just a totally different beast than Vegas is at this point? I think it's a different beast, but I think one of the things they could do better is the marketing of the city. I know they've tried and that's, you know, you've gotten the do AC slogan, which does not seem to have set the world on fire. <laughs> so you've, I think that's one area where Vegas has always been really good is like, hey, we're going to have people go out to the desert where it's really, really hot in the summer and they're going to lose money and they're going to love it and want to come back. And they're really good at getting people to buy into that. You know, I think you, if, if I was the Grand Duke or whatever of Atlantic City with, an unlimited checkbook, I would try to hire away as many people from the Las Vegas visitor convention of visitors authority as I could, because they seem to know what they're doing <laughs> in marketing, marketing destination. So I think that would be a place that's where they would start. Yeah. I think that's probably smart. I mean, we've seen do AC kind of get that marketing arm kind of get defunded and then it was back and it's kind of confusing even what's going on. And, the advertising's been kind of half-assed, so yeah, part a big part of its marketing. I think you're right. Uh, and then also, just in in the, in the book in Boardwalk Playground, I think you're pretty matter of fact about the current state of Atlantic City, but you're also pretty optimistic about the future. So, where do you see Atlantic City in ten or twenty years, and what role do you think the gaming industry will play in that? I think the gaming industry is going to be a lot smaller, and I honestly don't know what direction it's going to go into. I wish I was insightful enough to be able to see what the next development could be. I just think that there has to be something. And if you look at the city at any number of places, you could see that, well, if they continued going in that direction, they would, it wasn't going to work out. And you, we saw that most recently in the 70s where, hey, if we keep on doing what we're doing, it's not going to work out. They brought casinos in, totally changed everything, huge shift. And I think we're on the cusp of another shift like that, and I don't know which way it goes. I've I've absolutely no idea, and yeah, I I wish I was smarter, and I could tell you. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to go somewhere. I mean, it, it, the, just being a beach town, it's too convenient. It's 
you know, not necessarily valuable in terms of what the property costs right now, but in terms of just sort of access and whatever history, there's so much value to the to the city and to the area that you'd think it's just going to bounce back in some way. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm on this podcast, I tend to be a bit more optimistic about Atlantic City's future than Craig is, I think. And I think just the way I, I look at it is that hopefully the only way for Atlantic City to go right now is up, considering that it's kind of so far down right now. I mean, it's number one foreclosure rate in the country. It's highest taxes in the whole country. It's, you know, like, you know, the job market's terrible there. You know, it's gone through so many hardships. That hopefully, I mean, I, it's hard for me to imagine that it being much worse in the future, but uh, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. And I think eventually somebody will find a way as long as the taxes and everything doesn't strangle it <laughs> before it can get off the ground. Right. So that's where you need the, the municipal partnership and you need the, you need some leaders to emerge in the legislature and in the city to say, look, we need to do something. This is people's lives here. We have to do something about this. Yeah. And I mean, it's tough right now, obviously, because right now they're just trying to cling to that lifeboat and (laughs) and stay afloat. So it's hard to have somebody come in and be a visionary when they're trying to cut, cut costs, cut jobs, right, wherever they right. can. And, and I mean, afloat. it's, it's, it's hard to really be a visionary and think about the future when you're being walked up the stairs to the gallows. I mean, it's, I don't yeah, know. I mean, it, it's, I've kind of got my, role. I've got my surfing metaphor too, where it's like, you know, you're or even like boogie boarding where you're trying to catch a wave, you know, and you just miss that wave. You don't just keep on trying to head to shore. You go back out and try to get the next wave. I think we've kind of reached that point in the past two years where it's like, yeah, the casino gaming wave has has moved on. Other people have caught that wave now. We're not catching it anymore. There, there's, let's go look for another wave. Let that wave go. We we rode it for a little bit. Now we're not riding it. Need a new wave. And I think that's something that AC's been pretty good at in the past, although maybe not the fastest at, at finding that next wave, but they've certainly found it eventually. Uh so just sort of an upbeat, maybe more upbeat way to end it is as an AC native, do you think there's anything really that tourists just totally miss out on when they go to visit AC? Is there anything that we should be going out of our way to check out? Oh, yeah, there's a ton of stuff. You know, first of all, you've got all of Cape May, you know, Ocean City, all that stuff. But we so my family, we went down, we spent the morning doing the whale, the dolphin and whale watching tour. We got to see real dolphins. Then we went up to the Cape May Zoo, which was really awesome and is free. It's unbelievable, though. It's nice to leave a donation. Totally free. You can have so much fun there. So, you know, I could see doing the day doing that, maybe doing some more adult stuff at night. And if you don't have kids and want to do stuff like that, there's just so much to do in the area. You know, even renting a boat, going out fishing. There, there's just a lot of stuff to do, and I would try it. Yeah, I mean, again, just the, the sort of natural advantages that Atlantic City has, just to be able to take advantage of that stuff, I think people don't do when they're shut inside a casino. So as visitors, what what do you guys do? <laughs> Spend the vast majority of our time in <laughs> in the, the in Bally's, yeah, Bally's yeah. Caesars, Wild Wild West for the most part. <laughs> I mean, for I think I think our story is that you know we got into 
you know, what, what originally drew us to Atlantic City is we just happened to be the right age. Like, we turned 21, and that was, like, right on the cusp, like, where Atlantic City was kind of still the only game in, in town for, as far as gambling goes. So, you know, we have a lot of memories, or, or at least I have a lot of memories of going up there kind of 2005, 2006 all the time with, with friends and gambling and having a good time. But, you know, as we've been talking about over the last hour, it's it's something that, you know, even people that are five years younger than, than we are, it's it hasn't been that way at all. I mean, they might never have gone to Atlantic City in the first place because, you know, right now where, where I live in Maryland, you know, I can go to Maryland Live, I can go to the Horseshoe, I can soon go to MGM National Harbor. And so it's just, I don't know, it's, you know, Atlantic City for us is just a place of all these great memories and 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 nostalgia and we still have a great time when we go but yeah they're gonna have to reinvent themselves hmm. i mean i think the one thing i've noticed the last couple times i've gone is just like like you mentioned tropicana harris borgata do a great job of offering pretty close to the vegas resort experience as far as you know shows shopping gambling restaurants and they have it all in one place and nightlife yeah and, and they do that all pretty well and i think I'm starting to sort of realize like, oh, hey, this is not just some place where you go and you drop some money in a video poker machine and then head back home. Like there actually is a lot going on. I mean, I knew that, but I just never really took advantage of it. I don't think until the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you guys nailed it. So I think we're ready to wrap up here uh, unless you have anything else to add, Dr. Dave. No, you, I mean, great questions. Thanks for letting me ramble. It's kind of fun. Oh, no. I always get to do that, so maybe I ramble too much. <laughs> thank, so, thank you very thanks. much for for coming on our show. I mean, you are, you know, obviously Atlantic City means a lot to you growing up there, and it just it it made sense for us, especially with with the Taj closing and with your background there to to try to have you on. And, and thanks so much for taking time out of your Saturday night to to get on and talk to us. Thank you guys for having me on, and also thank you for doing the podcast and believe in Atlantic city. So, uh, you can find Dr. Dave at Dr. Dave 702 on Twitter, which I think you actually recently changed, right? Yeah. So I had, so originally my Twitter thing started, I just started the UNLV gaming account to do official center for gaming research stuff. But then I would also just start tweeting personal stuff at people and I figured, well, I'm going to split. So I, the UNLV gaming is now only official stuff. And now the Dr. Dave 702 is all my personal stuff. So I'm just trying to, to keep the two separate. Okay, so... Although sometimes I slip up and do the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely posted from the wrong account quite a few times. <laughs> uh, so those those are the two Twitter accounts to look for. Uh, DGSchwartz.com is the website. Yeah, so the website's where you can find uh, all my links to all my articles and also about the books if you'd like something a little bit more long form. The books are always fun. And speaking of books, the, your latest book is Tales from the Pit, Casino Table Games, Managers in Their Own Words. Obviously, we've talked quite a bit about uh, boardwalk playground the making unmaking and remaking of atlantic city you can find both of those on amazon.com i don't know if there's a better place <laughs> where you want people to go buy them than amazon Nah, amazon's great amazon is great and the, the so the tales from the pit even though i did most of the interviews in atlantic city a lot of the folks i talked in in vegas a lot of the folks i talked to also worked in atlantic city 
So there's a lot of good Atlantic City stuff in there, and there are some really, you know, and those are basically the pit bosses and the casino managers, and they had some really interesting stories about everything, including Atlantic City. Right, and 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 for for me, from if you're interested at all in the history of Atlantic City, and you really like kind of short form, like two or three page chapters are about different topics of Atlantic City. I really do think Boardwalk Playground is is fantastic. I mean, the length of the articles for each article are are great for me. It gives me kind of a wide view of all kinds of topics in Atlantic City history, which there really is a lot of Atlantic City history. So I highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in the city. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. That's, that's great. <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming on. It was definitely an honor to have you on the podcast. Hopefully we can do it when there's some positive news and something opens or reopens. Yeah, we'll we'll have to try to do it again in a few months. (laughs) Thanks so much again. Awesome.